SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Hey, everybody, you are about to listen to SciShow Tangent's very first live show recorded this January at PodCon. So when the episode starts and the audio sounds a little bit funny, that is why. Don't panic. I hope you enjoy this live show, and we'll be back next week with a regular studio recorded episode. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. And this week, a very special guest. Uh, Joining me as always are Stefan Chin. Hello, Stefan. Hey. How you doing, buddy? I'm all right. What's How are your, you? I'm, I'm great. I'm fantastic. I'm doing just fine. Not stressed out at all. What's your tagline? Uh, we'll go with plus two to charisma. Mm, I like it. And we've also got Sam Schultz here. Hello. How are you doing, Sam? Uh, I'm fine. This is your first live show experience? Uh, yeah, I think so. Of all, what, of what, ever. what other live things have you done? I did a SciShow panel at NerdCon. Okay. And that was fine. I couldn't see anybody at that, though, because it was too dark. <laughs> now there's so, all those people you can see their faces. There's a lot of eyeballs faces. looking at me now. <laughs> What's your tagline? Definitely not scared. <laughs> We're also joined by Sari Riley, as always, science communicator, science writer, writer of science things, knower of science things, always more informed than I am. Sari, what's your tagline? I bought a blazer for this extremely auditory thing we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a very special guest this week. Thank you so much hello. for coming. This is Ella Fetter. Hello. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for coming to, to our PodCon live show. 
Thank you. And for... taking the responsibility away from me so that I didn't have to bring a fact. Is, mm. is that what I'm here for? But mostly in, in terms of like my mental health, yes. <laughs> Just distribute But also, I, you know, you have an audience of your own that you're going to bring over to our podcast. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, what do you do? I'll auto-subscribe. Uh, I host and produce a podcast called Undiscovered from Science Friday. And tagline? Is it tagline Oh, yeah. What's time? your tagline? My tagline. I, I was prepared for this. I decide to go aggressive because I'm frightened. So okay. in it to win it. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to win this podcast. <laughs> and I'm Hank Green. I uh, am very excited to be here at PodCon with our first live episode of SciShow Tangents. And my tagline is, I just had a tequila. <laughs> <laughs> because I just did a booze podcast. So this is drunker than I usually am at... Noon 30. Um, So for those of you who don't know, uh, here at SciShow Tangents, every week we try to get together and one-up each other and delight and amaze each other with science facts, facts about the world or how we found out those facts about the world and we're playing for glory, but we will also be awarding Hank Bucks and Hank Bucks go to people who who do a good job of amazing us. And we do everything we can to stay on topic, but the, the uh, podcast is called Tangents. And so if you go on a tangent, you are at risk of losing your Hank Buck if the other people on the podcast decide that it was not worthy of the tangent. And as <laughs> always, we are going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam Schultz. <laughs> I, I have to sing, kind of. Oh, God. <laughs> <clears throat> Hedy Lamar was a star of stage and screen, both near and far. But did you guys also know she invented guidance systems for torpedoes? Her work in this field paved the way for the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth we use every day. <laughs> That was great, Sam. That was pretty good, right? Up the ante. It's not a poem anymore. It's a song. Yeah, Uh, this is way too much pressure. uh Uh-oh. Disqualified. It's it's already hard enough (laughs) going with a science poem. Uh, So our topic, Sam, of course, gets a a Hank Buck. That's marked down on my little pad of paper here. for You basically get a freebie for doing the science poem, unless it's real bad. (laughs) And, uh, and that's our topic today is celebrities who discovered science things. Yes. The intersection of celebrity and science, I think, is what it turned out to be more. But, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start that off with our first segment, which is truth or fail. Truth or fail. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> During truth or fail, one of our panelists come to us with three science facts. And two of them are just lies. And the rest of us have to try and figure out which of those facts are the true one. And this week, Stefan has brought uh, us those three science facts to see if he can trick us. If he tricks us, he gets the Hank Buck. If we get it right, we get it. Yes, these are ancient celebrities who did science. Uh, Turns out it's a little bit difficult to find out how famous people were in their day. Have I heard of them? I don't know. We'll find out. out. (laughs) Right now. Number one, Philostratus was a Greek speaker, scholar, and Olympian coach in the second and third centuries CE. He wrote several books, including one called Gymnasticus, in which he observed that athletes that lifted weights, raced against horses, and wrestled lions didn't get sick and aged well. Uh, I guess as long as they weren't killed by lions. Uh, (laughs) 
But he also invented the halteries, which are the original version of the dumbbell. Hmm. And they were basically like oblong rocks that have a hole, had a hole carved near the top so you could sure. grab it like a dumbbell. So that's number one. What's number, that guy's name? Uh, Philostratus. Philostratus. Just Phil. Who's Gymnasticus? Was that, that something? That was his book. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Who's Gymnasticus? <laughs> that sounds like a really good uh, hip-hop artist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lil Gymnasticus. <laughs> number two. Uh, Muhammad al-Adrisi was an Arab geographer and cartographer who lived in the 12th century CE and spent his early life traveling around the world, becoming known for making very accurate maps of the known world at the time. But in his travels, he also picked up some metallurgy techniques from India, which led him to helping develop what's known as Wootz steel, which is what was used to make the Damascus steel swords, which were very sharp and hard to break, and recent testing of those ancient blades and the, of the Wootz steel itself revealed that their molecular structure included carbon nanotubes. Hmm. Woot steel? Wootz. W-O-O-T-Z. Sweet. That sounds fake. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. Heron of Alexandria lived in the first century CE and taught at the Museum of Alexandria, which is less like a museum, I understand, and is more like a university, what we would think of as a university. But he had all kinds of inventions that were way ahead of his time, one of which was the coin-operated vending machine, which was used in temples to dispense consistent amounts of holy water to make sure that the patrons weren't taking more than their fair share. What? That's oh. really, if you made that up, I'm gonna <laughs> eat my shoe. <laughs> That's what, what way that, too good. What was that one's name? Uh, Heron of Alexandria. It's named after the bird. A very real last person. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like, yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard of him. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, and I was a fan of his early work. Uh, okay, so we've got Gymnastics Phil, who invented the dumbbell. <laughs> Aladrisi, who was a map maker and made woot steel that had carbon nanotubes in it. And Heron of Alexandria, who made a coin-operated holy water vending machine. Instead of Red Bull, you got holy water. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right, everybody, have at it. <laughs> Are you not? You're not in, involved in this in any oh, way? Oh, no, I'm involved. I okay. still got a Hank Buck to give. Okay, 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 cool. Well, the third one, when, what, what's the date kind of range here? Uh, first century CE. Okay. That just seems so complicated. You got to put a coin in a slot, and then water comes out in a measured amount. That seems like mm. more plumbing technology than we would have Maybe at the time. Maybe there was a dude in the machine who just like... <laughs> And pour the water a into small a bowl. Boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sarah, I think you might be overestimating the amount of technology it takes to measure water. It's a cup. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta have like, God, like a, a reservoir. Yeah. In there. Well, you fill I the reservoir know. up, the cup goes in. It, like you put the thing in, you crank the handle, it lifts the thing, you crank, a and crank, the cup yeah. pops okay, over. You put your mouth and you're like, oh, <laughs> I feel holy now. I have big muscles. I don't need that dumbbell anymore. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, Vending machines make me think automatic, and so I was thinking like right. an analogous thing to that. But if you had to crank There's your probably own thing, a crank. Or the little human. Or a little yeah. dude. Or, or right. both of them. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> yeah. Holy water? Like, was that actually a, like, what, not Christian holy water? Well, it's a first it century. It's, it's after Christ. It hadn't, like, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't on the scene yet. Yeah. Hadn't yeah. done the whole like, thing. It, are there different kinds of holy water? Can you get, can you answer? I do not know the variety okay. of holy water that was dispensed. 
wasn't diet. I don't know the calorie content. That's going to yeah. be a problem. So gymnastics Phil and his dumbbells. I'm skeptical because I don't know if we would shape rocks to become a dumbbell. I think we would just lift rocks back in the day. If you were working out, they're there. People have equivalents today. If you grab like a medicine ball, we have workouts with just heavy things. Yeah. Why would you carve in the middle to make it easier to grab? I don't oh. know. Somebody mm-hmm. had to do it eventually because they true. are real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think we have other priorities back then. Like if you're going to be an Olympian, if you're taming lions, yeah. the last thing that would be on my mind is I need to create a divot in this rock so that I can lift it easier. Mm. Wait, wait, wait. Was it a metal bar carved to fit into two rocks or rocks carved to look like a dumbbell? It's a rock that has a hole carved in it near the top so you can grab it. Near the Oh, oh is it like a donut? It's not a donut like a, shape? Yeah, more like a kettlebell. Okay. okay. Oh. Huh. oh. Still seems like a lot of work. I mean, I don't know. But you they could... had slaves. <laughs> like, you don't have to worry about the amount of work things are when you yeah. own people. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yes. Gymnastica <laughs> sounds fake. I mean, if you did make that up. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just come right at it. But I feel like it's subtly, it's like it's like fake in a subtle enough way that yeah. you might be trying to like slip what but vending machines, man. Yeah, yeah, I feel well, there's a third one. Yeah. Which, the carbon nanotubes and the woot steel, Woots. which you thought the woot steel also sounded fake. So you're yeah. just it all sounds like video game stuff. It's like <laughs> carbon nanotubes are from a video game. Woot, woot steel, steel is obviously is like a, a video game. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Warcraft thing. Yeah, probably. And this, this coin operated holy water is basically a an arcade game. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to do it again. Oh, I got more water. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first arcade game. I feel like I've heard something about nanotubes and ancient steel, but that doesn't mean anything. I also feel like I've, I know there was carbon nanotubes involved in a Roman cup. There was oh, like, yeah. it was called the Lycurgus cup. And it, there is something to do with uh, when light refracted through it one way, it looked red, right. and the other way, it we looked green. We did a size show on this. We did a yeah. size show on it. <laughs> it's oh, in my brain. That makes me think it's fake. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. I, my question for all of you is like, do you know anything about Damascus steel? Because I certainly don't. And I feel like it's one of those no. things that was a lost technology in my brain. And I, mm. so right. it, we could like either- Like Valerian steel, they still have the swords, but- yeah. They don't know how they were made or you need a dragon or something. We knew it existed, but uh, right. Greek fire, etc. I'm leaning toward the vending machine myself. Even though I shit-talked it, I'm going to go with the dumbbell because it seems the most plausible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the nanotubes is sketchy. I think, it's, I think it's sketchy to say that you invented a rock. <laughs> yeah. I invented this. And you're like, no, you, it's a rock, man. It's just like a slightly better rock. It's easier to lift. Like, the point is that it's supposed to be hard. That's like, we made a rock circular, and then it became uh, something. Or like, we made a rock pointy. But like, the thing about a, like working out with a rock is that the point is that lifting it gives you the action. And so any rock will do that. Not any rock can be a wheel, though. But... Again, somebody had to invent all this stuff because it's all real. So eventually, <laughs> like, right? Okay, okay. I'm going to double right. down on dumbbell because okay. you're doubling down on vending machine. So okay. take really? a stand. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm all in on vending machine. I really want that one to be real. That one just, it's, it's, it's bait. Yeah, I mean, it's, ha- it's... the way that Ella and Sari feel about vending machine is Wait. making me think seriously that I'm wrong. But it's okay. What Wait, happens when you're wrong in life? You learn. <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> I'm wrong all the time. The, 
the public wrongness is a different, it's a different level of wrongness. Wait, so, so we're, we're voting for which one we think is fake. That I'm uh, going to pick my fake one? No, which, which one is real? Which one is, oh, like, There's only one oh, real no. one. Oh, okay, She's the second new. one. Second one. <laughs> you think the wood steel is real? No, that, I'm not saying that that's weird. That's great. I think that's great because then we split our... Yeah, then yeah. Stefan doesn't get everything. Yeah. Okay, final answers. Uh-huh. Uh, it was the vending machine. The <gasps> <real thing>. Wait. Okay, tell so me can more. tell us about the cleanup yeah. content and the and the brand and the of holy water involved. So, yeah, was there a child inside of the vending machine? No, slave child. <laughs> uh, so it was basically a big jar, and you could put a coin in the top, and there was a little uh, beam inside, and the coin would rest on the beam, and its weight would push one side of the beam down, which would lift the other side up, which removed a stopper from the bottom. And then that would release some of the water, and then the coin would roll off of the beam, and the, the beam would fall back, and the stopper would, would place itself ah, back. Oh, it's like a so toilet. cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I thought of. Yeah, except that I don't have to pay money for that. Pay money, yeah, to flush <laughs> well, the toilet. a very small amount, actually. In the, in the end, they do send me a bill, mm-hmm. uh, now that I think about it. it. And the water is not holy. <laughs> it's just the normal. That's what you think. Well, it's, just, it's a little bit strange that it's perfectly good drinking water and then I poo in it. <laughs> uh, so it seems like they wanted to automate the holy water distribution so that you could save priests time. Sure. So they didn't have to, like, pour. And then also so that people wouldn't, like, take more. Let's be honest. They were just trying to make money. Sure. Did anyone cheat? This is, was someone watching this vending machine? Sure. I can't you, like, imagine that you couldn't just, there? like, poke the stopper. Yeah. And then, like, have the water come out. How yeah. badly did people want holy water? I have that no they idea. Would, this yeah. is a science podcast, though. We don't want to hear about why people have holy water. <laughs> we just, <laughs> just the distribution mechanisms. Yeah. yeah. That's very good. Uh, so, but could I just wow. put a rock in there? Just a round rock? I had invented a very small wheel. <laughs> so then I put it in, and it's just like, ah, ha, ha, I got my holy water. And then the priests are like, ah, more of these small coin-shaped rocks. Canadian I was reading rocks. a little bit about the history of yeah. vending machines, and that seems like the key issue to solve with vending machines is, like, to authenticate <laughs> what is being put into the machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are most of them, like, pretty weight? Like, just really specific weights, or are they looking at shape and... Texture. I have no idea. Why don't you know everything about vending machines? <laughs> <laughs> You're just coming in here with your vending machine fact, not knowing everything. I'm so sorry. I think it's a little of both. Yeah. It's my guess. Are there, are there seeds of truth to your other facts? Yes. Uh, so with uh, Gymnasticus Phil, uh, most of that was true. I don't know if he was actually an Olympian coach or if he just wrote about Olympian athletes. He did write Gymnasticus. And in that, he talked about all the things that I talked about. Um, but he, I have no idea who invented the halteries. They already had them when he was getting involved in this stuff. And they did use them for weightlifting. But halteries comes from a word that means leaping. And so they were actually primarily used in the long jump. And so you'd, like, hold them. And it was like a standing long, standing long jump. And so you'd, like, swing them forward as you jumped. Oh, and it would cool. give you, like, an extra six inches or something. Hmm. So that they existed. Yeah. Rocks with holes in them existed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's the part that... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't believe that they put a hole in a rock. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you get that extra oomph from, your, yeah. from swinging your uh, halteries. Yep. That's what, I said that right. Yes, I think so. That's good. And then we got kettlebells. It seems dangerous, but hey, 
So was life. <laughs> Not any more dangerous than wrestling lions. Yeah. No, much less. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I would want to have a halteries if I was going to have nothing or a halteries. I wanted one of those. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could hit a line pretty hard with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> Especially also... had a good grip on that rock. Yeah, if yeah. you had a hole in it, that'd be great. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so then there was uh, Aladrisi, which had he had nothing to do with steel. Uh, but he, he did mention, he was well-traveled, and he, he did say at some point that uh, Indian steel is the best steel in the world, and, the, and that's where the Woot steel was made. Um, so Did it have so, carbon nanotubes in it? Yes. Oh, oh. Wait, why was it fake then? Because it was just the wrong person. It was just he wasn't involved with that. I see. Wow. Yeah. He spent 15 years interviewing people who had traveled the world, and then because he was trying to make a map, uh -huh. and then he was like... Here's all the things that people contradicted each other on, and I'm going to discard all of that. But all the things that they agreed on, I'm going to use that to make a map of the world. And it turned out to be pretty accurate. Like a wiki map. Yeah, of sorts, yeah. The collective, yeah, that's great. Uh, it, go on. It, you, you were in the, the map <laughs> only included Eurasia and the top half of Africa. That's so, the key part. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all important stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the wood steel was made in India and exported all over the world, and it was used to make the Damascus blades, which do have carbon nanotubes, um, and the production techniques for the steel has been lost. Um, but people recently have tried to reproduce it, and there does seem to be some people who can make the wood steel pretty reliably, but the, it seems like they're still trying to reverse engineer the Damascus steel a little bit. Neat. Them's my facts. Those were good facts, Yeah, those Stephen. were good. Um, and, and now we're going to talk more about facts in a little bit. But first, we're going to hear from our sponsors. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services. These things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast as aspersions? Dispersions? Yeah. Aspersions. One of those. Aspersions. Yeah. But it does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm -hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> you want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah. That yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's, there's a constant drain on the on bean. The bean. Yeah. That... <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, <laughs> Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> <laughs> Subscription companies hate this one simple trick because 
you figured out their plot and now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting (laughs) money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your (laughs) unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. All right, and we're back. We've got our points here. Sam, you got two. Mm-hmm. Good job. You're, you're, uh, you are tied with Stefan, who also has two. Oh, yeah. Who collected those because we got so many people here today. I've got one for getting the vending machine right. Ella and Sarah, you got nothings. You know, I doubted oh. the vending machine. I still stand by that, so. <laughs> yeah, you, you think Stefan yeah. was just lying to everyone. No, I just, like, I, I feel okay about my decision to doubt the vending machine. Okay. So, I understand. Uh, in, yeah, but. in fact-checking, we're going to get We'll find something. Retroactive points. Okay. <laughs> I believe the vending machine. Sorry, you look okay. <laughs> stricken. I'm worried now. Uh, they're just I mean, jealous because they're, they're losing. Yes, your, your fact yeah. is legit. I, yeah, I just don't want to feel bad about my zero yeah. points. So huh. Just doing anything well, to win here. You guys have a chance now because mm-hmm. it's time for Saria and Ella to have their fact off. Oh, yay. That was cute. (laughs) That was great. So two of our panelists have brought science facts for us today to share uh, in an attempt to blow the rest of our minds, us on the stage and you out in the audience as well, we hope. Uh, The presentees, uh, all of us on the stage, uh, the three of us, each have a Hank Buck to award to the fact they like the most. We can throw it away if we hate them, though we never do that, so I'm not sure why we keep it in the podcast. Uh, (laughs) And we're going to decide who goes first by uh, you guys telling me your first celebrity crush and me deciding which one of those celebrity crushes is better. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neil Patrick Harris from Dr. Horrible's sing-along vlog. Yeah. You're so young. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, from wow. Doogie Howser? That's I weird. That for a while. Uh, yeah. before fa- oh, my God. First celebrity crush? Yeah. Ever? I mean, if whatever you can remember. Oh, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a very long list. Uh, Maybe it's not embarrassing. Why why would you ask this? Uh, It it, it, it was Alicia Silverstone in Clueless. That's a good one. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, no. She's very talented. She's very talented. (laughs) And a a good person, I think. Oh, yeah, she's lovely. She seems like a great person. And uh, Alicia Silverstone and Clueless, soup's hot. Um, (laughs) Also, Neil Patrick Harris and Dr. Horrible Singalong Blog. I used to think that I looked like Neil Patrick Harris, um, (laughs) which was just something that someone told me once and that I held on to. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still think that? See, have you seen me? I look in there. I know, but do you still think that? But I look like Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah. No, I do not. Okay. He's very handsome. Mm. You're all right. You're all right. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm, Sam, tell me how handsome I am. I think you're very A scale handsome. Scale of one to ten. Yeah. Scale, uh, scale of one to Neil. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> one to what? Neil. 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 And Paige. Oh, you are. Oh, God. You're a Neil and a half, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All that being said, I think I am going to have to go with Neil Patrick Harris over Alicia Silverstone. Right. 
That's checked. Strong. No, that's good. I, I want to okay. watch Sari at work before I have yeah, to. Yeah, that's also good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not no, that you haven't good, heard good the training. podcast. Yeah, no. You, have you listened no, to the podcast? Have, yeah. Okay. No, no, of course. How many episodes have you listened to? <laughs> I have listened to four so far. Is that respectable? It's not bad. Okay. Yeah, I've got more still, but to catch up that's on. Probably, <laughs> I probably also have listened to four. Sari. Yeah? Lover of Neil Patrick Harris from Dr. Horrible Sing Along Blog. Lover of that horrible doctor. What is your fact? Uh, okay, let me set the stage for you. It was 1942, the middle of World War II, and the U.S. created a wartime intelligence agency called the Office of Strategic Services, which eventually became the CIA. A lot of battles took place on water, like the Pacific Ocean, and so besides worrying about other militaries, we were deeply, deeply afraid of sharks. Jaws hadn't come out yet, but it was like a whole thing. People were afraid of sharks and also other dangerous ocean things like barracudas and I guess water things because that's not even ocean necessarily. Barracudas and piranhas and jellyfish. We were scared. Um, so they created a department called the Emergency Rescue Equipment Special Projects Department uh, to c take on many projects. But in addition, uh, in addition to like big military things, they were told to cook up something to repel sharks. And one of the team members was a woman in her 30s named Julia McWilliams, who would later marry, change her last name, and become the Julia Child what? of French cuisine fame. Back then, as far as I can tell, she didn't really know how to cook. Um, she majored in history, not biology or chemistry, so I don't know how she got on this team, but she was a part of the team developing this anti-shark substance. Um, and according to now release... Ooh, sharks are bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to figure out science. <laughs> well, that, repel the sharks. That was your job interview. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Down two notches, Julia. Wow. Uh, you got the job, though. She's the voice of the program. Um, they tried over 100 different anti-shark substances, some of which just straight up killed the sharks they tested. Oh. Um, and they didn't want to just strap a toxin to soldiers, so they turn those down. So eventually they settle on a recipe with a chemical formed in decaying shark flesh that would hypothetically scare living sharks away. Um, the chemical was called copper acetate, which they mixed with a dark black dye called nigrosin and made little packages that could be attached to life vests and things, and they named that Shark Chaser. And until 1974, lots of branches of the military, the Navy, Army, Coast Guard, all used it. But the catch is, I don't think Shark Chaser really worked. Uh, it didn't work consistently. There are memos from the 1940s when they developed it that said it was over 60% effective in deterring sharks under certain conditions, but it didn't affect the barracudas and piranhas and all the other ocean stuff that they were worried about. Iron. You gotta so, have decaying other fish in that yeah. stuff. Yeah, gotta find other chemicals. Um, so I don't know how they got that data to say that copper acetate was effective and research from the 1960s couldn't replicate the finding at all. So these days we're like, don't know what they were thinking exactly. But despite that, I just like the fact that like, technically one of Julia's child's first famous recipes was a cake made from dye and dead shark smell. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, well done. That's it. That's that was very good. I sort of forgot we had moved on to the real facts part of the podcast. Yeah. And when you said Julia Child, I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Do they use something now to chase away sharks? Um, so, yeah, they have, like, their people are still looking into chemical repellents for sharks. They're looking into chemicals called surfactants, which reduce surface tension, so, like, mm -hmm. sodium lauryl sulfate. Um, they're also looking into... It's just, 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 like... 
shampoo. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, why doesn't a shark like, they're like, ah, that doesn't feel good. Too soapy, too bubbly. Too soapy, too bubbles. Yeah. There's also things called semiochemicals, I think, or semiochemicals, um, which are pheromones or chemicals that convey signals from one organism to another. Um, <gasps> hmm. So, so like there's a even bigger shark around is like the message you might want to yeah, send out. I, I don't know exactly what they, these say necromones, which make me think they have something oh. to do with like, there might be something to do with dead sharks, but mm-hmm. instead of looking at copper acetate, which is a compound that forms in their flesh, they're looking specifically for a protein mm-hmm. or something that's released as a warning signal, but just like has evolutionarily involved to be a warning signal. Hmm. So uh, I don't know if anything is particularly effective. I couldn't find any peer-reviewed studies being like, this is our shark repellent. Buy it with your bear spray. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so possibly people okay. are still looking into it because people are still extremely afraid of sharks. Even but, though- uh, Is it a big problem though? Do people Are people getting chomped by sharks in the, in the Navy or whatever? One time is too many times. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Might as well keep them away. Yeah. I, like, I don't really want to not get eaten by a shark. I want, like, okay, sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I, don't want I do want to not get eaten by a yeah. shark. But like, I, like, if I'm, I always want to feel like I've done something. Like, if I've fallen off my boat and I know there's sharks around, I want to feel like I've done something. Yeah. So even if it's just like a, like a packet of black dye, yeah. I just want to, mm-hmm. like, see it around me and think, oh, this, I've done something and the sharks will be less likely to eat my legs off right now for a while at least until they come get I want like I want a I want a placebo if nothing else. Like, like that's why this like was shark so... holy water. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put in a quarter. Uh-huh. Placebo is why they used it for so because the studies that showed that it didn't work started in like the early 60s, but we mm-hmm. used, the military used this in, through the 70s because they were like, well, we don't want to send people yeah, into I mean, sharky once, waters. <laughs> once the, the life preservers have shark repellent on them and then like the next one doesn't, you're like, <laughs> I mean, budgets are like, yeah, we do want to make sure that we don't waste the public's money, but also could, where'd my shark repellent go? Yeah. Where's my shark cake? I, I guess if Sam's right, if it's not that common, they could have been duped into thinking it was working for a very right. long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Oh, Julia Child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Okay. All, All right. right. Your fact t- time begins now. Here we go. It, this is not timed, correct? You'll just no, edit not. it down into <laughs> yeah. a respectable length. <laughs> All right. Prepare to settle in then. Um, Zeppo Marx, not just a pretty face. So, okay. <laughs> a Marx brother. A Marx brother. So, how well, like, I shamefully am not too familiar with the works of the Marx brothers? Me neither. Uh, I know. I've seen Duck Soup. That's okay. the only one. Yes, he was in that. He was the handsome I, one, right? That's right. So, okay. Yeah? okay. So, <laughs> I, I didn't know much about the, the, the Marx brothers. I was telling uh, my ex-girlfriend about this, and she was like, oh, Zeppo Marx, you're so lucky. She grew up watching this. She's well under 60, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you don't know the Marx brothers well, quick Quick context, uh, five Jewish brothers from New York City made it big in Hollywood with uh, goofy wigs and slapstick and cultural commentary, maybe? Yeah, uh, Duck Soup yeah. is about, it's like an anti-war movie. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, I saw, I watched bits of uh, Monkey Business, which Zeppo was in, mm-hmm. in which it's like a, a comedic romp about trying to immigrate to the United States illegally, which is <laughs> it's just so topical. Anyway, it was, I, I did not find it. Funny, but again, not the right audience. Um, so Zeppo was the youngest and the handsomest. He was a straight man, yeah. But he was 
potentially very underappreciated. So he always got stuck playing the straight man, uh, romantic lead. His brothers got to be goofy and run around in wigs. When he quit, apparently, this is the famous line, uh, the, the, the studio tried to cut back their salary because they had one less Marx brother, and they said they were twice as funny without Zeppo. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The studio said that. No, they... uh, Groucho, his brother, his own brother. No, yeah, yeah. John, John says yeah. that about me. <laughs> <laughs> but half as handsome, obviously. Yeah, as, as discussed so, earlier. Yes, yeah, so you have me and Neil. He's um, 0.75 of a Neil. John, John is, is 0.75 Neil. Well, <laughs> yeah. talk to me in three years when I'm his age. Okay. <laughs> My head has done the thing that his head has. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> As you get older, everyone knows that your head becomes a different shape. It's <laughs> well known. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Zeppo, Zeppo, this is the science part. So Zeppo, tragically handsome and un- underappreciated, but technically very gifted. Wikipedia says that he was responsible for running, for uh, maintaining the family car because of his oh. gifts. Um, but, but in the late 60s, he invented... Kind of an early Fitbit. So Ooh. it was called the Lifeguard Watch, which is like a pretty catchy name. It was a watch uh, that had a little uh, heart rate sensor on it. And it had, it had, so it had two watch faces. One was like your normal heartbeat, which they said should be roughly 72 beats a minute. Um, and the other watch tracked your actual heartbeat. And if it went too high or dropped too low, an alarm went off, which uh, probably means that. It was not good for exercising. (laughs) Stop! (laughs) We've detected you're running! (laughs) But so the the idea was it would be good potentially for for cardiac patients. And I was trying to figure out like what what led to this invention. Um, It doesn't say anywhere, but his brother Harpo died of heart failure just two years before he first tried to to Mm. apply for a patent for this. So I was like, oh, maybe it's a family. Love story. And Harper wasn't the one who said the mean thing. No, that was Groucho. Okay. Who didn't deserve a lifeguard watch. Um, (laughs) So that is what I know about. I don't know if it was ever manufactured. I'm kind of thinking no, because the way, well, one, I can't find any evidence of it, but also like the way that it measured the the heart rate, it seemed like it was actually like your, your pulse as it, as it kind of bumped out was supposed to press a button lightly, yeah. which seemed like it's not it's not like you know your 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 wrist isn't you know I'm pulsing, yeah. pulsing yeah. with visibly. Life. So I, I presumably he made a prototype, but I imagine if if the button was that sensitive, uh, yeah. it would have been triggered by all kinds of things. Yeah, that, just that's moving your hand around. He also invented actually a vapor delivery pad for distributing moist heat. Which is very disgusting. Vapor vapor delivery pad for delivering moisture. So it's just a hot thing with a wet thing on it. (laughs) (laughs) For a second, I thought you were going to tell me he invented vape pen. (laughs) The problem that it was solving was apparently to to deliver the moist heat before this, uh, uh, like nurses would would wring out warm, wet towels and place them on you, and then you had to keep re-wetting those towels, and this was a consistent moist heat delivery system, which Is we are. Is there a coin you had to put into it? And then like... No, that would be fake. What? That would be completely, completely impossible. No. Don't be ridiculous. I read some other things about him that weren't so good that I don't want to share, so... Okay. Um, well, thanks for bringing it up. He, uh, he developed the clamp that delivered the atomic bomb to Nagasaki. Like, it held... What? The, uh, what? The, yeah. Don't so, lead with that! 
It's a clamp. It was a little, yeah, what do they call it? The Marmon clamp? He had a, he had, really? This? It's like, it's like a little metal ring. It's, That's a great clamp. <laughs> it's a very bad clamp that did bad I saw them on mm-hmm. Amazon? Yeah, no, it's, I, I've used these. I've, I think I they, mean, do, they do I didn't more use than it to just bomb anyone. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's just a circle. <laughs> it was like to secure it to the plane. Okay. Uh, uh, that's as much as I know about that, because that didn't interest me. Yeah. What about the moist heat delivery? <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, Different all right. So Both of his marriages has ended in divorce. His second wife cheated on him with Frank Sinatra. And, oh, and, and, the, very, Frank Sinatra. and the very last line of his obituary, Zeppo Marx's obituary said, th- this is like the last line in the New York Times obituary, this marriage also ended in divorce in 1970, and in 1976, Mrs. Marx married Frank Sinatra, the singer-actor. Oh, oh God. God, you're half as funny as your brothers. Uh, you accidentally <laughs> invented a thing that That's used awful. a bomb, and okay. your heart rate monitor wasn't great, because when your heart <laughs> stops beating, you probably know anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but he has the moist heat. Yeah, yeah, that moist heat's so, good. I could use some. That. It's very dry in Montana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm actually done now. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right, so it's time for us to vote. We've got Zeppo Marx, who created a bunch of stuff. Um, most notably, yeah. Go on. Most no- which, which is your most notable? The, the heart rate mom, the, the early Fitbit. Yeah. Early Fitbit is good. That's cool. And then we've, got, we've got Julia Child, who created a shark repellent recipe made of dead shark smell. Oh, boy. Stefan, you go first, because I don't want to do it. It's very hard. I, well. Oh, my God. We should, like, shake hands or something. So yeah. It's non-hostile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I... I don't know why, but I want a life vest for with like this pouch of ink for just when I'm walking around on land. Just so if I feel anxious or something, I can just yank the cord and squirt this like black liquid around. Yeah, exactly. It smells like death. Yeah, yeah it'd be a squid, like a yeah. land squid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, oh God. But I really like this lifeguard watch. I mean. Well, we have 10, 10 minutes, so hurry up. <laughs> I'm going to give it to the Lifeguard Watch. Lifeguard Watch. I'm also going to give it to Lifeguard Watch because I like the Marx Brothers. Uh, Sorry, Sarah. Is is this a guest thing? No, it's not. not. It's not at all. Because I will take pity. So so I'm also giving it to Ella because because it was like, here's one thing Zeppo Marx did, and also here's a bunch of others, including the thing you used to fix an irrigation pipe after you stabbed it with a hoe while planting a cherry tree. Uh, (laughs) The the intended application. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) in World War II. It did other things yeah. as well. Uh, and I'm sorry, Sarah, and I also kind of did it so Ella would be in first place. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ella was in it to win it, and so... I, I, yeah. uh, yes. I, I, vote, I vote for you, Sarry. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That's not how it works. No, it doesn't. You don't right. have a point. Sorry. Brutal competition with each other. We can't be nice to each other right now. After the show, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can give each other all the Hank bucks. Okay. There, were, just, there were too many facts in your fact, Ella. And, and now, since we have very little time left to go, we're going to ask the science couch. So we've got some listener... Okay, go. Now... <laughs> so we've got some listener questions that have been sent to us, uh, and this one is from the Goose of Death, Minecraft P. 
Pia123. Does Brian May's PhD thesis have any applications in spaceflight? I'm going to go ahead and say I have no idea what that means, and hopefully Sari did research. Okay, yes, but first, can you explain who Brian May is? Because I had to Google him. I had a neighbor growing up named Brian May. <laughs> He's in Queen. <laughs> Oh, he's from Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Sam knows who he is. I told you that we were going to talk about Queen, at least, didn't I? You well, did tell me he's that. He's in Queen, one of the creative forces behind well, Queen. Should... That's about all I know about him. Okay. Cool. He also did a PhD in astrophysics. I mean, he looks like he has a PhD in astrophysics. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like British have... astrophysics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. British astrophysics, yeah, very, very much so. Um, his thesis is called A Survey of Radial Velocities in the Zodiacal Glust. Their zodiacal dis, ooh, that is in, a hard word in the zodiacal dust cloud, yeah. um, and the short answer is no. But he thought it could have affected spaceflight when he started researching it because it took him thirty-ish years to complete his thesis. Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, we yeah. So he was busy, really busy for a little while there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had some Wait, stuff to do in the middle. So he, he finished wasn't it after. continuously. It was us. No, he took year. a break to be in Queen. Oh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. Yeah. So like many feces, uh, this is very specifically about one very, very specific phenomenon. The zodiacal dust cloud is all the interplanetary dust in the solar system. Um, so it's mostly between the sun and Jupiter, and it scatters sunlight at certain angles. And we can see it on Earth um, because it glows along the horizon. That's Ooh. called zodiacal light. Uh, it's the false dawn when it's seen before sunrise in the eastern sky or after sunset in the western sky. Wow. So in the 1970s, Brian May basically rebuilt a spectrometer on one of the Canary Isles off of West Africa. He made 250-ish observations from September to October 1971 and April 1972. Uh, and he thought it was interesting because he was like, there's all this dust in the atmosphere. This is the time when manned spaceflight was like starting up and we weren't sure if the dust would be bad for astronauts in some way also could maybe teach us something about the formation of the universe. Like, huh. if there's dust in space, what is it made out of? What, what collisions created it? And then in his thesis, I read like the first 10-ish pages, but it was 200-something, so I didn't have time. <laughs> um, he said, the writing of my thesis was virtually complete in 1974, but the submission was deferred due to various pressures. He was being a rock star. The various pressures were rock star. Uh, but then, after he did the Queen thing, he went back to work in 2006 and graduated in 2007. To do that, he had to take into account new research about the zodiacal dust, but not a lot of people cared about it. Sorry, Brian. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, that's probably okay. I was waiting for him to come back. Yeah, I was waiting for him to come back, but that's why he was able to finish his thesis because he wasn't like scooped or anything. No uh -huh. one else was really researching it. NASA uh, put up an infrared astronomical satellite and saw how the dust was concentrated in bands and figured that some of that particular dust was made from asteroid collisions. But he was able to do like a 30-year literature review, take that into account in his thesis, publish it, and be like, I know the most about zodiacal dust of uh, <laughs> probably anyone in the world. <laughs> Does it have Wait. anything to do with spaceflight? No. No. But, no, it's just death. He he thought like the dust could have interfered with spaceflight and but it just like is a thing that exists okay. in the universe. It so it influences spaceflight as much as anything else floating in space. You're not going to like accidentally like, crash into some of it and yeah. have it be a problem. No, I don't mm. think they so. They don't have to factor it into 
gravitational something. Or, uh, I don't think so. I think it's far enough away or small enough that whatever radiation shields you build in or whatever other physical shields you need, normally with a spacecraft, like this dust and other dust. All good. All just, good. It's just more dust. It's just, just more space it's dust. It's just stuff. If you want to ask us questions on the science couch, you could do that. You could tweet us your questions using the hashtag AskSciShow. Thank you to Nyad Dryad and One Round Panda and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Our final scores. Sam, you got two. Stefan, you got two. Sarah, you got, I think, nothing. Yep. I've got one. <laughs> and Ella, you're a winner with three. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. First, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful, and it helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode, and we'll see it, and we'll go, ha, I liked that too. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, you can tell people about the show, and all of you in the audience, subscribe if you have not already. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Stefan Chin. I've been Sam Schultz. I've been Ella Fetter. I've been Sari Riley. And this, oh. Did I say Hank Green already? Yeah, I you did. said yourself first. Okay. <laughs> SciShow Tangent is a co-production of Complexly at WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our art is by Hiroko Matsushima, and our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno, and we couldn't have made any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. thing. Dr. Benjamin Rush was a medical professor, Surgeon General of the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War, and one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was also one of the people who bled George Washington to death on his deathbed. Um, <laughs> in addition to all this, he helped, the Mer- he helped Meriwether Lewis prepare for the Lewis and Clark expedition, and one of the things he gave him was a pill called Dr. Rush's Bilious Pills that contained more than 50% uh, mercury, and they would make Ooh. you shit your guts out. <laughs> so they ate a lot of red meat on the Lewis and Clark Trail, and they had to shit their guts out. Uh, but a cool side effect is that this has helped researchers find where Lewis and Clark camped because they just look for places where people shit a bunch of uh, mercury out. <laughs> <laughs>